Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. It's the debrief with a focus this week on the UEFA Champions League draw. Arsenal have been drawn against FC Porto. We'll discuss that. I'll bring you some reaction to that. I'll get you guys' reaction and thoughts, of course, in the live chat box as well. We'll also touch on the big stories from another weekend of Premier League action, as well as revealing the winner of our Christmas giveaway. So lots and lots to get into on the programme. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. Happy Monday, people. How are you doing? Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. Mondays are always so much better after an Arsenal win. Um, I'm feeling good today. I've been really, really busy today. I feel like I've been everywhere today. Um, 90 Min show in the morning, which was great. Really enjoyed it. Really good fun with the guys today. Um, you should see the heat that I'm getting in the comments. Jesus Christ. You would think that saying, I don't want to class Aston Villa as title contenders at this stage and that Tottenham need to keep an eye on their disciplinary record. Well, why will takes? Are they? They're not really, are they? I think people just want to have a go at me. <laughs> but anyway, um, really, really looking forward to this one. We're going to react to Arsenal's UEFA Champions League draw. We will face FC Porto. And I think I'm in a good place to talk about what it's going to be like travelling to the Dragao, of course, um, when that game comes around in February. Because I've been there this season. I've been there to see FC Porto in action in the UEFA Champions League. So I'll give you a little bit of... Um, uh, of insight as to what we're going to face in terms of the atmosphere, the surroundings and all the rest of it. We'll get into all of that. We'll also touch on the Premier League's uh, big stories as well. We'll talk about um, the Tom Lockyer thing, which was horrible, horrible scenes, uh, of course, at the Vitality Stadium. I'm delighted um, that it seems he is um, at least in a stable uh, condition and that tests uh, are being uh, sort of done at the moment to try and establish maybe what the problem is and what the decision needs to be um, with regards to his future. And um, you never want to see a player in that position. But I do think that when you've had this type of thing happen to you more than once, you, you really do have to think long and hard about what you want to do next, because, you know, the last thing his family want is for him to go out um, on a football pitch with whatever issue um, he seems to have and, and not return home. You know, football's important. Football um, is a big deal to all of us, but it's not more important than your life and your health and, and your family and all the rest of it. So fingers crossed, um, whatever the decision is there, whatever the findings are, um, you know, Tom Lockyer can, can kind of either move on with his playing career or, you know, call it a day knowing that, you know, it will be difficult to take when you're a footballer and you've worked that hard to get to that level. It'll be difficult to take, but he'll be, I think the decision is made easier essentially when you know that you're risking your life, which nobody wants to see him doing. Let's say a few hellos. Uh, lots of you joining us in the live chat. Remember, if you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video. Uh, if you're listening on audio, then please do leave us a review as well. Temi says, I've been held hostage by my wife who has threatened to push me off the balcony if you don't start on time, Harry, I'm assuming that Temi is no longer with us because there was no way in hell uh, that I was going to start on time this evening. Uh, Richie, in response to the Champions League draw, says a great draw. Hi, all. Uh, Benjamin says, uh, let's hope this goes better than our last few trips to Portugal. Um, yeah, look, 
I'm, I'm telling you, Porto is not an easy game. There is no easy game in the Champions League. There are games that you prefer to have. I think Porto falls into that category. We'll come on to that in a minute. Um, but it's not going to be easy. I'm encouraged by the fact that I saw Porto play earlier this season and I wasn't massively impressed. And I'm also encouraged by the fact that we play at home in the second leg, which gives us an opportunity to turn it around if we do go out to the drag out and have a, a tough old time. Uh, we've got the Saski Guna in the chat as well. We've got Tom um, who says, um, good evening, Harry and chat. We could have gotten worse than Porto, but can't be complacent. They have Champions League experience and pedigree, which is true. Paul says, uh, Harry, just finished watching the 90 Min show. You were on fire today. Everyone was saying that to me. I don't even think I was. I was just being honest. I just don't think that Aston Villa are title contenders um, at this uh, at this point. And I just think that Tottenham do have a problem with the amount of red cards they're getting this season. Basuma's been sent off twice. Udogi's been sent off. Romero's been sent off. And Romero should have been sent off another time as well. Um, and he got away with it. So I do think that Ange Postacoglu needs to address that. And I think that's a fair enough assessment uh, to make. But anyway, look, let's focus on that Champions League draw. Um, as I've said to you guys, I think that Porto is one of the better teams that we could have got in the sense of, um, you know, there were a few sides there. Inter, I didn't really fancy. Um, I didn't fancy PSG. Napoli, I didn't fancy either. There was a few that I was looking at and thinking, yeah, these could potentially be tricky. So I'm glad that it's gone the way it's gone in that I think it's a, a winnable tie for us. But as I say, I'm not going to take anything for granted. And I don't think anyone should because this is the Champions League. All of these sides, they're here on merit. And if we have a quick peek um, at the Portuguese league table, because I haven't um, had a look at this today. I haven't had a chance. Hold on. Portuguese league standings there we go so Porto are just two points off the top Benfica sit top at the moment Porto are in third Sporting in second but Porto do have a game in hand over Benfica that if they were to win would take them above the league leader so they're in pretty good shape this season it's a really really interesting title race by the looks of it between the three uh, big clubs uh, over in Portugal and it's going to be fascinating to see how it goes what I will say, and one really important point that I think we need to make here is that when we're talking about the Champions League draw, obviously we can only go by what we know at this minute. We can only go by what we've seen in the season so far. But there's quite a big gap between mid-December and mid-February. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that what can happen is things can change. Teams can hit bad runs of form. Teams can lose players in the January transfer window. Teams can gain players in the January transfer window. So there's a good chance that the side that you're looking at today is not the side that you face, essentially, when that fixture actually comes around. And I think it's really, really important to note that because, you know, it's easy to look at some of these sides and say, well, they're not very good or, you know, they're not in fine form or the opposite. They're in great form. They're in excellent form. And, you know, happy days this is one that we should walk and then, you know, maybe things have changed and, and turned in that period. For example, FC Copenhagen against Manchester City. Now, I think that Manchester City are going to win that with ease. I really, really do. We'll come on to talk about some of the other ties in a moment. But people are looking at Manchester City today and saying, oh, you know, Copenhagen, they did Manchester United. They play on a really atmospheric ground and it could be quite tricky for Man City and all the rest of it. 
Man City could be a completely different Man City come February and March. And that's the point I'm trying to make here is that, yes, it's nice to know who you're going to face. And it means you can keep an eye on them um, between now and then. It means that you can watch their games. You can focus on what they do tactically. You can keep tabs on them, et cetera, et cetera. It makes the preparation easier, of course, for the knockout stages of the Champions League. But at the same time, a lot can change between now and then. And you've got to bear that in mind, right? You've got to bear that in mind. If we run through the draw, uh, FC Porto and Arsenal was the first one to come out of the um, out of the draw. That was the first tie. Arsenal travelled to the Dragao uh, for the first leg and they come back to Emirates Stadium for the second leg. Napoli versus Barcelona, the reigning Italian champions versus the reigning Spanish champions. But I think none of those sides will be uh, champions of their domestic leagues come the end of the season. I think both of them are having a difficult time. Napoli, obviously, um, you know, lost Spalletti at the end of last season, replaced him. That didn't go well. And they've had to make another change um, and instill Walter Mazzari in on a short-term deal. Barcelona, Xavi's a man under pressure because they're quite away behind Real Madrid, who sit top of the pile at the time of recording. Of course, Girona are in action tonight and they could go back to the top of the league, which will change the picture there. Paris Saint-Germain, I think, will fancy their chances against Real Sociedad. Again, a tricky and dangerous opponent, but one that I think PSG will just about have enough to overcome. One of the standout ties for me, and I hope this is not on the same night as Arsenal so that I can watch this, is Inter against Atletico, the Diego Simeone derby. This is going to be fascinating. It won't be great on the eye. It won't be full of free-flowing football. But it will be really, really interesting, I think, this one. You've got the Daniel Marlon derby between PSV Eindhoven and Borussia Dortmund. Lazio play Bayern, and I fancy Bayern, of course, to have probably too much for them. Copenhagen take on Manchester City again. I think that's a pretty one-sided tie. And then RB Leipzig um, will face Real Madrid. Look, you know, one of Inter or Atletico is going to go out, which is a good thing. One of Napoli and Barcelona is going to go out, which is a good thing. Is it beyond the realms of possibility that PSG go out? No. Um, is it beyond the realms of possibility that Bayern go out? I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's impossible either. So, you know, there's a few fascinating ties there. There's a few really, really interesting games there um, that do have the potential to throw up surprises and shocks. But also, um, you know, they you know, they have the potential to just be exactly what they say on the tin, which is one-sided affairs. So it's a fascinating draw and we're just going to kind of have to watch it play out and um, and see how it goes. But going back to Arsenal, just circling back to Arsenal before we move on from the Champions League draw, I think the only team I would have preferred to Porto would probably be Copenhagen. Um, everyone else, you know, you think about it, obviously we couldn't face PSV because we were in the same group, but we could have got Napoli. We could have got PSG, um, you know, we could have got Inter, which I, I certainly didn't fancy. We could have got Lazio, which I think would have been tricky. Um, and we could have got RB Leipzig. I think Porto's about as good as we could have got, with the exception of maybe Copenhagen. And that's not being arrogant, because I've just said that we, we need to make sure that we avoid that. Um, but, you know, there are draws that you prefer, obviously. Um you know, there are draws that you prefer and there are draws that you look at and you think, mm, not so sure. Um, Robert in the chat says, stupid me, rushed to book the flights thinking I was clever. 13th to the 15th of Feb, then had to change for a week later. And it cost me another £70 each. Ah, it's hard luck, mate. But um, the main thing is you're going to be there. And um, 
I can tell you, because as I say, I went to the Dragao earlier this season. It was the night after we played Lons away. So I think it was match day two of the Champions League. I drove back from Lons through the night and got home, had a shower, got changed, grabbed a bag and got on a plane to Porto to go and cover Porto versus Barcelona. And that was an experience. It wasn't the greatest game. Barcelona won by a goal to nil in the end. Um, I think it was Ferran Torres that got the goal. But the Dragao was bouncing. You know, there is that Iberian rivalry between the Portuguese and the Spanish teams, which may be added to it a little bit. But the atmosphere was incredible. The place was bouncing. And you know what? I expect it to be like that when we go there as well. I expect it to be equally as, um, I don't know if hostile is the right word. Atmospheric is the right word. Galatasaray is hostile. Olympiacos is hostile. Porto, I wouldn't put it in that category. Napoli's hostile, I think. But Porto is a little bit different, but it's incredibly atmospheric. It's an electric place to watch a football. It's a stadium that I'd highly recommend people visiting if they get the chance. And of course, Robert will be there, um, which is great. Uh, Cesar says, Harry's disappointed about getting Porto. He wanted to travel to a new city. Yeah, I would have preferred to get someone else just because I went there like literally a couple of months ago. Um but yeah, it's um, it's a wonderful place, wonderful city as well. I need to find out. There was a, a sort of Portuguese bit of cuisine that I tried, which was, oh, what was it called, man? Hold on. I'm going to try and Google this because I think it's really, really important. Hold on. Uh, one second. Uh, Porto traditional cuisine with, it's got an egg on it. Um, it was called Francesinha, which is, um, yeah, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain what this is. Um, look it up, look it up. It's, it's like, it's got egg on it. Um, hold on. Can I find a good explanation here of what it is? I know we should be talking about football right now, but I think this is really important. Food is really, really important. Um, just trying to get it to load up. Hold on. Here we go. The most popular food in Porto, the Francesinha, um, which is a sandwich kind of. It's a warm sandwich that will catch your eye at first glance. The name literally means little French girl. I don't know where that comes from. Um, it is said to have been brought to Porto by an immigrant returning back from France. This sandwich is an adaptation of the French toasted sandwich. A Francesinha is a sandwich made with bread, ham, sausages, and steak. It is typically covered with cheese and then has an egg on top. Now, I get it. It doesn't sound that nice. I don't think it sounded that nice when I heard about it, but I tried it because the guys I was with insisted that I did, and I actually really, really liked it. So that's my recommendation uh, for those of you going to Porto. Right, we're going to take a really, really short pause, and when we come back, we're going to run through the Premier League uh, weekend. We'll touch on all the big stories. We'll discuss all the big topics and um, and we'll get your takes on some of those as well. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Debrief on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. It's a Champions League draw special. Welcome back along to the show. Okay, let's turn our attention uh, to the domestic results at the weekend. And we'll start with the Friday night football. Nottingham Forest, nil, Tottenham Hotspur, two. A big win for Ange Postacoglu's side. Um, obviously beat Newcastle last weekend really comfortably, looked really good. Newcastle were dead on the 
Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Their feet, as we mentioned at the time, but you've got to give Tottenham credit because they've been on a bit of a difficult run. They've managed to turn it back around and they're in a really positive position again. I thought they played quite well, Tottenham, on the night. Of course, though, they lost Yves Bissouma, who is now going to miss, I think, four games uh, because of uh, the fact that this is his second suspension. I also think that if I'm not mistaken, he won't play for them until mid to late February if Marley go well in the AFCON. So it's a big blow for Tottenham. And what I said on the 90 min show earlier, which I've been hammered for in the comments by a few Tottenham supporters, surprise, surprise. What I said was, I think they've got a problem with discipline in that obviously Ange Postacoglu's tried to get them to play this far more aggressive style of football. He wants them to be on the front foot. He wants them to high press. He wants them to win the ball back nice and early. But in doing that, they're just overstepping the mark a bit. Romero's been sent off this season. It's twice with Bissouma. Udogi's been sent off as well. And, you know, Romero could have been sent off a second time easily without any questions. So if I were Ange, I think I would need to address this. I'd feel like I need to address this. And of course, Ange Postacoglu, I think to his credit, did mention this, by the way, um, when he was asked the question about the red cards and the discipline. So for me to say that it could be an issue and only essentially reiterate what the boss has said, I, I don't really understand why that's a wild take, but... Arsenal fan, can't say anything bad about Spurs, can you? They'll go crazy. Um, anyway, take it on to Saturday. We've touched on the incident um, at Bournemouth involving Tom Lockyer. Massive shout out to all the medical staff that were on hand and responded brilliantly and quickly. And, and most importantly, made sure that Tom Lockyer was OK and is OK to tell the tale. Um, I think Philip Billing was the first one to get over there and really kind of help get him in the recovery position and all that. So credit to him as well, um, because it's very easy, I think, in in situations like that to kind of freeze. And he obviously didn't. He obviously, um, you know, did what needed to be done and made sure that, you know, his, his fellow footballer was OK. And um, Rob Edwards as well, man, like we went to Luton the other week and obviously. I'm not going to say it's the first time I watched Luton play this season because it isn't, but it was the first time I really kind of followed the whole Luton thing, like the press conference, the the match, the post-match, the press conference after the match. And I really liked Rob Edwards. And listening to him speak about the results he got against Liverpool and then, of course, the result that he nearly got against Arsenal, I started to think to myself, this guy's a really bright young coach, like tactically really sophisticated, far more than you'd think at first glance in terms of looking at his team and how they play. He obviously realises that he has a limited tool set, if you like, at Luton Town, and he's got to play in a certain way to try and level the playing field. And I and I always thought, you know, brilliant coach ever since we went to Luton and I heard from him and spoke to him and all the rest of it. But listening or watching him, I guess, walking around um, the pitch after the Tom Lockyer incident was sort of tears in his eyes because he, he knows what this might mean for Tom Lockyer. You know, thankfully, he's going to be OK in terms of, you know, his health as in generally speaking. Um, but 
Yeah, I just I watched him and I I thought, you know what, that's a guy that cares about his players and cares about his team. And I think a lot of managers would have responded in a similar way. Um, you know, and and sort of the emotion would have got the better of you, understandably. But I just, yeah, I, I thought he was brilliant in the way that he handled it. And um, yeah, I, I wish Tom Lockyer all the best, obviously. And Rob Edwards is a coach that I really, really like. Um Rob says, and and this is this is really interesting to hear, kind of, um, you know, firsthand from someone who's who suffered from something similar. He says, "I have a cardio condition, and have an internal defibrillator. I freeze when I hear players collapse, having lost an immediate family member in his thirties playing football." Tom surely can't play ever again. I kind of touched on that earlier, and I think if there's any risk, which you've got to say there is now, right? Having seen similar things happen twice. And I, I don't know if the first one was heart related, by the way. Um, it might have been. I'm not sure. Someone can let me know in the comments. I don't want to say it was if it wasn't. But the fact that he has collapsed on the football pitch twice, I think, you know, it can't be a coincidence, right? The, the two things surely are linked, in which case he's going to have to hang up his boots. And and that's horrible to say because he's worked all his life to get to that point and all the rest of it. But it just feels like that's that's the way this is going to end, unfortunately, for Tom Lockyer. And his family won't be delighted because he, he won't be able to play football the game he loves, but I'm sure they'd rather have him than not have him for a game of football. Um, Burnley, nil, Everton 2. Everton continued their good run of form. Newcastle battered Fulham by three goals to nil. Um, good performance from them, but Marco Silva wasn't happy with the sending off of Raul Jimenez. I don't think he could have had... Too many complaints, if I'm honest. Manchester City dropped points at home to Crystal Palace. There were two goals to the good. And that one seemed as though it was on its way to the conclusion that we all expected when we turned on our TV sets on Saturday afternoon. I must admit, I turned this one on. City scored. I turned it off. I was like, I can't be bothered to waste my Saturday afternoon watching this. And literally put my phone in another room, got on with something else. And then I got a notification on live score saying it was 2-2. And I just went, what? How the hell has this happened? Um, what's happened to Man City? I don't want to say too much because I still think they're as good as anybody. I still think they're going to bounce back and I still think they're going to be there or thereabouts um, come the end of the season. In fact, I still make them my favourites. If I had to bet my house on one of the, the three sides I consider to be in the title race, Arsenal, City and Liverpool, to win it, I'd still probably bet on um, on Manchester City. Chelsea beat Sheffield United by two goals to nil. I mean, scrolling through Twitter at halftime, um, it seemed like Chelsea were putting in a stinker of a performance. And then after the game, when sort of the rest of us, the kind of general football fan base went, well, you know, they beat Sheffield United. Oh, OK, like big deal. It was, why aren't you giving Chelsea credit? And and I was like, well, what do you mean? At halftime, you said it was the worst performance ever. And now you're jumping up and down because you beat Sheffield United at home. You should beat Sheffield United at home. You should. Um, the Bournemouth-Luton game was abandoned at, uh, for the reasons mentioned. I'm glad, just to circle back to that, sorry, before I move on, I'm glad that common sense prevailed there because we saw after the Christian Eriksen thing, didn't we, that a delay happened and then the game continued. And it's like, come on, guys. Like, just stop like how can the players that have been involved in that and that have seen that go out there and play again i don't know i don't get it so um that for me was the right decision and i and i think that should be the, the standard now um when this type of thing happens hopefully it doesn't happen too often hopefully it never happens 
On Sunday, Arsenal beat Brighton by two goals to nil. And you can listen to my full review of that game. It's the last episode on the podcast feed. It's the last video on the channel. Uh, it got feisty between Brentford and Aston Villa. Brentford took the lead, but Aston Villa came back to win that one by two goals to one. Former Brentford man, Ollie Watkins, got the winning goal. And his celebration sparked some interesting, shall we say, scenes at the GTEC Community Stadium. He celebrated with a focus on one Brentford fan in particular. But I don't think the Brentford supporters got that at that time. And why would they? How would they know? Um, but that led to a bit of a, a fracas, if you want to call it that, afterwards. Uh, lots of yellow cards. And there were a couple of red cards in the end, uh, at the end of the afternoon. Look, Ollie Watkins may well have been getting dogs abuse, right? I, I don't know whether he was or not. I don't know what was said. He obviously felt really strongly about whatever this individual said. I'm not saying I blame Ollie Watkins in that, you know, I've been in a situation where I've lost my head because someone's got under my skin. So I, I get it. I understand. I just think that Ollie Watkins has a responsibility as a former Brentford player for a club that put so much faith in him to kind of show them generally a little bit more respect. And is one man's actions enough to completely derail that in terms of him showing respect? If there was something said that was you know, racially aggravated or or something like that, then I can understand totally why he would have lost it. But what I kind of wanted from Ollie Watkins afterwards was for him to maybe come out and say that and highlight what it was that, that triggered him. I think that would help the Brentford fans kind of accept and understand uh, the reasons for him doing what he did. Look, I'm not going to sit here and, and sort of hang the guy out to dry for reacting like that. I thought it was a bit disrespectful against your former club, given there's no ill feeling. And if it was just one individual, you've let that one individual essentially spoil your relationship to a point with with a lot of the other Brentford supporters. And I just think that if it was that bad, um, and I'm not saying it wasn't because I don't know, Ollie Watkins had an opportunity in his post-match to out what was being said. Obviously, we all know who the fan was. It was clearly visible. So if they have crossed the line, out them, get them banned, and it won't happen again. But he kind of seemed to decline that opportunity and just sort of doubled down on the fact that he felt it was within his rights to react the way he did. Um, elsewhere, West Ham United beat Wolves by three goals to nil. Another couple of goals for Mohamed Kudus and Jared Bowen continued his good run of goal-scoring form as well. Gary O'Neill, listening to him on the radio on the way home, was really annoyed about the nature of the goals that his side um, conceded. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's a good day for West Ham, a bad one for Wolverhampton Wanderers, though. Um, as for Liverpool versus Man United, we spoke about this a lot on the 90 Min Show, so I urge you to go over there and check it out because I'm not going to speak about it in too much length here because this was the Champions League-focused episode of the debrief and there wasn't really that much to talk about other than I thought that Diego Dallo's red card was a joke. Um, I thought it was pathetic. Michael Oliver, the same referee that sent Martinelli off for two yellow cards in one action. Remember that um, was obviously at the centre of the controversy. I think after the first yellow card, he could have just jogged over to Dallow and had a strong word. And that could have been that. Instead, he brandishes the second yellow card, gets him sent off. And then all his referee mates on TV and on the radio over the next few days are just going to sit there and defend him um, and say that he was within his rights. Yes, there's a clampdown, but do referees go out there wanting to send players off? They shouldn't do. So they should, I think, try and manage the game in a way that reduces the the sort of need to do that. And I don't think that Michael Oliver did a really good job of that. As for, um, you know, Man United being happy with a the draw, they've been getting a lot of stick for that online, on the radio, on the television. 
What is wrong with Man United being happy with a the draw? They lost 7-0 there last season. And Man United have been in dire straits since this campaign begun. There's been talk about Eric Ten Hag losing his job, losing the dressing room, people not on side with him. Listen, I'm not a big Eric Ten Hag fan. I don't think he's the right man for Manchester United. I think a lot of the problems that they have are problems that Eric Ten Hag has created, i.e. some of the signings. And I think Eric Ten Hag actually looked a little bit silly yesterday when Rafa Varane put in a world-beater performance, a player that he's been snubbing for weeks. I don't think Sofian Amrabat looks any good. I said that when they signed him. And, you know, he's one that Ten Hag bought in. Anthony worked hard yesterday, but is he an £80 million winger? Not a chance. Guess who sanctioned that deal? Eric Ten Hag. So I'm not a fan of Eric Ten Hag, but I think Man United should be quietly happy with the point. And I don't think there's any issue with them focusing on the positives and saying, look, we showed a resilience that we haven't had for a long time, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, you know, we take it and move on. I didn't see any Man United fans jumping up and down about it. Uh, I saw fans that were pleased that their side didn't get um, absolutely battered and humiliated the way that they did when they traveled to Anfield last season. But hey, it is what it is. Okay. Um, Final thing before I go, and I've got a dash because I've got a radio job that I need to, well, I should have been on two minutes ago. Um, so, and that's my fault because I was late starting this. But I've got to announce to you guys the competition winger, winger, winner. Well, they could, they might be a winger. Um, the competition winner who has won the £75 Amazon voucher from the Chronicles of Aguna podcast had a ton of emails. In fact, I think I had more than 500 emails. I had my wife going through them um, earlier today as well so that we could um, collate all the names, put them into um, this uh, app thing that just picks one at random. We let my son press the button. Um, and the winner was Simon Thomas. So Simon Thomas, uh, you have won the £75 Amazon voucher for our Christmas giveaway here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. What I'm going to do, Simon, is I'm going to drop you an email tomorrow. And what I need you to do is um, is confirm that it's the email address that's linked to your Amazon account. If you have one, if not, then I'll send you because um, there's two types of vouchers. I think you can send one where you send it directly to someone's email. Um, and there's another way. I think my wife knows better. We'll get that sorted out um, today. There were mostly correct answers when it came to the question. The question was, what was special about Dennis Burkamp's goal of the month win back in 1997? And the answer was that he came first, second and third. Three Dennis Burkamp goals in the top three places. Some of you came out with some brilliant explanations of that very fact. And I, I really enjoyed reading some of them. Some of you came up with some complete nonsense that was totally untrue, but I appreciate your participation anyway. Um, so thank you. Um, and as I say, look, it's Christmas uh, soon anyway, a matter of days away now. Um, and um, yeah, I just wanted to give something back to you guys um, for all the support to say thank you. Simon Thomas is the winner. Um, so Simon, you'll be getting an email from me uh, tomorrow at some point. I'll collect the details that I need and I will get that sorted for you. You should have it an hour after we've we've spoken. So, um, yeah, keep an eye out for the email. The quicker you respond, the quicker I get the voucher over to you. And you might even be able to get some Christmas shopping in it now um, before Christmas. You get it delivered before Christmas. What more do you want? Right, guys, uh, thank you so, so much. Um, I don't think Simon's in the chat. I think Simon said he was a Spotify listener. 
Um, I, I think I remember, but there were so many of you that said you were Spotify listeners or Apple listeners or YouTube viewers. I, I can't remember. I can't be sure, but I think he said he was a Spotify listener, so he might not be in the chat now. Uh, but thank you all so, so much for joining me, as always, on another episode of The Debrief. I will love you and leave you, and I'll speak to you all. Probably not tomorrow, because I'm in Paris tomorrow working, but definitely on Wednesday, if not. Until then, take care of yourselves. All the best. Have a good one.